This podcast was brought to you by our supreme boilers of leather, the Elton Dane, the new sword of the morning, Morgan, and Kate Kachka. If you want to find out how to become a supreme boiler of leather, or if you want access to all the cool bonus materials we offer, head over to patreon.com slash boiled leather audio hour. a very special episode of the Boiled Leather Audio Hour. It is special in so many circumstances. Special number one because I'm doing this solo and I think this is the first time someone has ever done an episode of the Boiled Leather Audio Hour solo. I always had guests with me on this show. As you know, usually it's the illustrious co-host Shanti Collins, but I have other regulars as well. So why am I alone in this one? It is not because I'm an egomaniac or a narcissist or because I didn't find anyone who wanted to podcast with me. So be assured this will be a one-off. But the news is great, at least for us, because we had someone to pledge as a podator on the Patreon for the Boiled Leather Audio Hour. And as we proudly inform on the homepage, a podator is someone who is a dictator of podcasts. And if you pledge on that level, be assured you can dictate what we have to do. And in this case, it's me. Uh, Because I was challenged by this benefactor of ours. And this benefactor, uh, before I go on, I want to introduce him or her. I'm not quite sure, honestly. Uh, The name is Kien Joaf. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing this in some semblance of correctness here. And he or she asked me to reiterate an argument that I made years and years ago on the Supreme Court of Westeros. If you remember that thing, it is, as I said, it's years ago. And uh, Amin from the podcast of Ice and Fire, me, myself, and a random guest that we uh, elected from a roster of guest hosts answered a question that was posed to us about the Song of Ice and Fire, like a final judgment that we did. And one of these final judgments, episode 51 of the Supreme Court of Westeros, uh, concerned itself with the question of who is the Knight of the Laughing Tree. And back then, all three judges were in consent, it was Liana. We laid down our reasoning and we independently came to the same conclusion, so hurrah us. But this is not enough for Kian. Uh, And so they forced me, challenged me, gave me this great, great, great challenge to prove myself right once again and to tackle an argument about a different identity for the Knight of the Laughing Tree. And I will do that today in this very special episode of the Boiled Leather Audio Hour. If you want to go into the argument yourself, I will, of course, summarize it for you here. But if you want to read it all yourself, just head into the show notes. I will link to it. It is a thread on the Vesteros.org message boards. And I will now go into what it is, what uh, what the argument is talking about. And I will try to refute it point by point uh, and to make my case why I still think 
Lyanna Stark is the Knight of the Laughing Tree and why I do not agree with the alternate explanation that we get here, which is... Let me make a pause for dramatic effect. Ned Stark himself. Our main character from A Game of Thrones who loses his head over stuff. Spoiler alert, I guess. And uh, he could have been the Knight of the Laughing Tree is Kian's point. So I want to go into the argument and tell you why I think it's wrong and why I think it's Lyanna. And there are many reasons and many arguments to dissect, so buckle up, we will go deep into the territory of theorizing. And I want to make clear, this is not exactly tinfoil or anything. I'm not crapping on this theory. Uh, it is not like Benjamin Stark as Dario Naharis territory, not by a long shot. This is actually a well thought out theory. It provides textual evidence that's worth a damn. And it has some interesting implications. But finally, I will come down and defend my judgment from years ago that it is Lyanna Stark, which is also very much a consensus view at this point, I guess. So let's have it for the contrarian Kian. First argument that they make is the process of Rhaegar meeting Lyanna isn't changed by this thing. Uh, if, he, if Ned is the Knight of the Laughing Tree, this does not upset Rhaegar meeting Lyanna and falling in love with her. And why is this important? Uh, because as we know, at the tourney of the Fall Spring in Harrenhal, uh, in the year of the Fall Spring in Harrenhal, Rhaegar, for some reason, crowns Lyanna the Queen of Love and Beauty, upsetting the power dynamics of Westeros and getting into motion the events that will lead to Robert's Rebellion, the fall of the Targaryen dynasty, and the birth of Jon Snow which I have been told is quite relevant <laughs> for the story. So it is important that this order of events isn't fucked up uh, by this theory. And why does Kien come to the conclusion that it is not fucked up? Because Rhaegar still needs to try and to discern the identity of the Knight of the Laughing Tree. He will still investigate uh, the three knights who lost against the Knight of the Laughing Tree. He will still be forced uh, to question their squires, and by this process he will learn that Lyanna rescued Howland Reed, and then he will talk to Lyanna, and there he will fall in love, case closed. So I totally agree with this argument. Uh, it is neat, uh, and it does tie up uh, the question of how will Rhaegar fall in love with Lyanna. It just happens here. We still do not know why uh, and under what circumstances, but neither do we do uh, in any other theory, because this is just lost to the mists of memory until Bran finds out. But this is at some point in the future. However, I do think... In the end, it doesn't really matter. Uh, I will explain to you why I don't think uh, that this matches much, uh, but I see why it is foundational for Kian's theory, because if this one building block wasn't there, the whole theory would collapse instantly. So good work for realizing what the important basis uh, of your whole theory is, because many people do not, uh, believe me. Um, and then we get into textual evidence. The first textual, evi textual evidence that we get presented is textual links between Eddard Stark on the one hand and the Knight of the Laughing Tree on the other hand. And I want to read uh, the relevant quotes that Kien sorted out uh, because I think it's important uh, to jog your memory if you do for some reason not memorize A Game of Thrones completely. Uh, and a storm of swords and a game um, and a clash of kings all of them so uh, the first quote comes from a storm of swords brand two 
from the story itself. Uh, and uh, Jojin is telling it like, when his fallen foes sought to ransom horse and armor, the Knight of the Laughing Tree spoke in a booming voice through his helm saying, teach your squire's honor, that shall be ransom enough. And then he go, they go out, uh, go on saying that booming is used frequently for laughter, tying it closely with the Knight of the Laughing Tree. Even Todd's shrill laughter is described in that way, because we get uh, Toad's shrill laughter booming through the trees in uh, Game of Thrones, John 9. Uh, Ned also has a booming voice uh, as a battlefield voice, a necessary, a necessary skill for any commander. Obviously, uh, Robert has a booming voice when he says, Stop this madness in the name of your king in Eddard 7 uh, during the tour tournament of the hand. And we get um, John describing in A Storm of Swords uh, the booming voices that he and, uh, and Rob uh, exchanged when they trained for being lords. And also, John is on the receiving end of a booming voice when Donald Noy booms, Stop this now! Uh, during his fight uh, in the armory. So, every time booming comes up, uh, Kian claims it comes up in the connection of battlefield voices, of Lord's voices, uh, and therefore it cannot have been Liana's voice. And I say, uh, this, is, uh, this is actually a good catch. Uh, I wouldn't have noticed this. Um, uh, and good de good detective work uh, on all the uh, all the textual evidence. However, I disagree, uh, and for two reasons I disagree. The one thing is um, in world basically. The Knight of the Laughing Tree is wearing a full helmet, else the whole uh, masquerade wouldn't work. And in a full helmet, every voice booms. But we even have a more important point here, and the thing is, this is a story that Jojen is telling, and it is not a factual account. The booming voice is a trope, uh, because you have to have that. Uh, as, as you yourself found out, you know, uh, this belongs to a certain class of people. So even if the Knight of the Laughing Tree would not have an especially recognizable voice, in the story it would become a booming voice nonetheless, because it's a story and because it has to fulfill certain tropes. This is uh, important, uh, I think, to understand that, and this is a first critical fault that I would attest to this theory, not to differentiate between Jojen clearly telling a story that has been honed time and time again and that he has heard from his father himself, who will also have experienced that scene a little bit different than anyone else. Uh, I guess for someone like Howland Reed, of course this voice would boom. It would cut through everything. It would be a pivotal moment. And when he tells it to Jojen, this voice is like from the heavens, like something. So of course Jojen would fall into the tropes and of course he would use the hero's booming voice, the lord's booming voice. So I do not see this as especially strong factual arguments on both counts, Doyleist and Watsonian both. So we're coming to another uh, set of textual, uh, textual hints, which is the formulation uh, in the uh, story once again. So I'm going to read the relevant quote. It's still from Brand 2, uh, Storm of Swords. That night at the Great Castle, the Storm Lord and the Knight of Skulls and Kisses each swore that they would unmask him, and the king himself urged men to challenge him, declaring that the face behind the helm was no friend of his. And this is another formulation that comes up sometimes uh, through the story. 
in the context of kings and lords. So, for example, in Clash of Kings, Catelyn three, she says uh, to uh, to um, not not she, sorry, uh, Stannis says to her, "I'm sorry for your lord's death, though Eddard Stark was no friend to me." So he's using the same words as Aerys the second. In John eleven, in a storm of swords, uh, Stannis is using the same formulation again. I know Jaina Slint, and I knew Eddard Stark as well. Your father was no friend of mine, but only a fool would doubt his honor and honesty. And then in John eleven, uh, he does it once again. Your father was a man of honor. He was no friend to me, but I saw his worth. So we have um, uh, we have this connection here. Um, um, with the whole friend, no friend to me thing, uh, you know, and um, Catelyn uh, uh, also has it in her chapter when she's one more, once more seeing Stannis. Uh, Stannis is saying here, uh, kings have no friends, only subjects and enemies. Uh, and in John uh, eleven, uh, Sam uh, has this, uh, he has the same thought about Sam when he says, uh, John, I mean. Uh, Sam, you sweet fool, you played me a cruel shape when you made me Lord Commander. A Lord Commander has no friends. So we have this uh, thing uh, over and over again connected to things and lords. And we have one last uh, quote uh, in this way from Aya 2 uh, in uh, Game of Thrones. Um, because her father himself uh, said, Know the men who follow you and let them know you. Don't ask a man uh, to die for a stranger. So did he regard uh, these men as friends? Who knows? Um, Robert is legendary for turning enemies into friends. Uh, this is all tangential, uh, as Kian agrees, uh, but it is a um, a link within formulations. And for me, I'm sorry, this is as, just so spurious and tangential. Stuff like this doesn't inform narrative decisions. If you are hinging a great revelation, like who is the Knight of the Laughing Tree, if you are hinging this on textual hints like this in the text, I would feel fooled uh, as a reader because this is just such a minor detail. And kudos for you for even finding all these uh, connections uh, and that um, that this is a thing Stennis uses to say all the time and uh, that it is always brought up in the context of kings and lords. But I do not think it matters here very much. Uh, it is just a a turn of phrase uh, once again. It's in it's interesting for Stannis's character that he uses the same formulation as Ares. I don't know if it means anything or if Martin just repeated a phrase that just sounds good, because this inversion uh, of normal syntax is very poignant. You know, you are no friend of mine uh, is is just a, an incredibly strong statement, and I think that Martin was just tempted to recycle it. That is uh, that is my argument here. Then we're coming to the next point, which is armor. Uh, so um, and, uh, by now, Kian has gone into a kind of checklist, squishy points that he wants to um, that he wants to disprove, basically, because they could sink his theory, uh, much like uh, the initial thing about uh, uh, Rhaegar meeting Lyanna, uh, and he wants to dismiss these points before anyone can make them. So let's go on into point number one. Why isn't Ned wearing his own armor? And uh, he cites the um, the pr uh, the president from uh, the Hedge Knight, where uh, uh, Prince Baylor is wearing Valar's armor, uh, and of course he doesn't want to get uh, uh, get shown uh, instantly. Um, so we have uh, we have good uh, good reasons that Eddard didn't uh, didn't use his own armor, 
And I want to argue here that, of course, a mystery knight isn't using their own armor, else they are no mystery knight. Uh, that one, for me, seems obvious. Uh, but you are inadvertently opening yourself to another line of argument here, which is that Eddard is described by authority, authorial authority uh, himself, George R. R. Martin said this, that Eddard is not a great jouster. And we will come back to this. Uh, I just want to leave it here. Uh, that that it is already established that he is not a great jouster, uh, because I, I, I'm coming back to this armor point uh, once again. Then the second thing uh, that he is getting out is um, is the thing about the shortness, because in the story the knight of the laughing tree is explicitly described as short, and Ned is not short. So how do uh, how does Kian get uh, around this fact? And the thing he is, he is making the argument that Ned is relatively small. So, and why is he relatively small? Because the horses they are riding, uh, you know, these huge destriers uh, that are carrying them into battle, these are huge horses. Uh, you know, uh, you have to check uh, images out, and I did, and I definitely agree, these are huge fucking horses. Uh, and if you are sitting on them, other than if you are Sir Gregor, obviously, you are always looking kind of small. But this is a problem because Ned's horse isn't the only one that's that big. You know, it's it's just a feature. Uh, they will be, they have trained all their lives on these horses, pushing people off horses and measuring enemies on such horses. So why would a an assembly of professional jousters suddenly realize that Eddard Stark is looking really small when he sits on a big horse. That's true for all of them. They are accustomed to this sight. It won't even register. Um, and for Howland Reed, who told the story to Jojen, which once again is a fact that Kian is ignoring here uh, to his detriment, uh, he is small and he would of course not describe Ned as short. Because for him, he definitely isn't. Um, if Howland Reed is describing anyone as short, it would be Tyrion. Um, and and even then, Tyrion would probably cock, and, uh, cock his head and say, look who's talking, <laughs> you know. Um, so this is one of the clearest warning signs to me that this theory has serious problems. Because it just, it just doesn't work out. Ned is not small. But do you know who is small? Lyanna Stark. And Howland Reed, for that matter. I find Howland to be a much more obvious uh, alternative to Liana than Eddard, to be uh, to be honest, because a lot of this uh, works for uh, works better for him. But let's go on. I have been challenged, and I will see this challenge to its end. And now we find the weird thing, which is why would Ned use a laughing weirwood as a, as a sigil? And before I go into the discussion, I also do not know why Liana used it. So I do not have a good argument here, obviously. But let's go into um, into this thing uh, for uh, for the moment. So um, what Kien is doing here is trying to reconcile Ned's personality, as we know it from A Game of Thrones, with the personality he might have had at the tourney in the year of the False Spring. Because the Knight of the Laughing Tree, the, the Laughing Tree is obviously laughing. So... How does this measure with Eddard Stark, who is not exactly the type uh, for uh, for laughing? And so we get a lot of textual evidence that uh, Kien provides here for moments in which 
added stark experiences humor, joy, or a, a chuckle or a smile. So, for example, we get Storm of Swords, Catelyn Five, where uh, she remembers. Um, uh, where she remembers that she first met Eddard Stark after Brandon was killed, so she would not know him, which is kind of important because she's the most important eyes uh, that we have on Ned other than Ned himself. So there is no disproving there. Then we have Eddard Seven in A Game of Thrones. Um, uh, even Eddard Stark managed to smile when Robert uh, drops back into his chair, shaking with laughter, and Barristan Selmy also chuckles. I mean, when Barristan Selmy chuckles, even Eddard Stark can crack a smile. So we can see that even after, he is actually capable of laughing. So uh, case is proven there. Then we have a Game of Thrones, um, Eddard Six where uh, Eddard is describing how they were having fun, uh, Robert and him were having fun back in the day, but Stannis did not. Uh, so Eddard is capable of more laughter than is Stannis, which is a low bar to clear, admittedly, but he clears it. Then we see uh, in Bran 2, A Game of Thrones, uh, it is described that his father laughed uh, and said, you are not my son, uh, you are a squirrel, so be it, you must climb, blah, blah, blah. Uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, so he could laugh here. Then we have Arya 7. She remembered her uh, hearing her lady mother tell father to put on his lord's face and go deal with some matter, matter and father laughed at that. So even with Catelyn, uh, Eddard was known to laugh. And then we have... Um, Robert and him uh, laughing at several times. Um, so all of this shows us in the minds of Kian uh, that uh, Eddard is actually known uh, to laugh on occasion. And again, kudos for the detective work in the text. I think uh, you are mistaken here, uh, uh, unfortunately, because I do not think humor has anything to do with why the tree is laughing. Um, I do think that the sigil is not actually a laughing tree. The mouths of the Veerwoods always look like they're laughing or smirking or gaping because this is how you cut a face into a tree. Uh, so if you try to paint this on a shield to the outside observer, it will always seem like it's laughing. But I do not think that this is actually the intent. I think it is just meant to be a Veerwood. And if you call this a laughing tree, that is just obfuscating the fact that it's a weewood. Actually, it's the weewood knight, in my uh, in my opinion. This is what the sigil is meant to represent, not laughter. Uh, this is a mis uh, misdirection uh, on Martin's part to uh, to obfuscate the identities of the people in question, and I think he succeeded with it uh, quite remarkably. So let's move into uh, another important argument, be uh, and this is the most important one of all, why wouldn't enter uh, Ned just enter himself uh, as a mystery knight? Um, so why, why doesn't Ned just go into the thing and say, I am Ned Stark, this is my bannerman, and I'm going to avenge him? Uh, what, what keeps him from that? Why the, the mystery knight masquerade? And here, this is actually a good question I didn't even think about before Kien brought it up, but Eddard really needs a compelling reason to even do this. So let's go into Kien's argument. And um, we, learn, we learn from the Hedge Knight that, um, quote, even the rules of this tourney worked against him, making it unlikely that he would face a green or feeble foe. There were a dozen different forms of tourney that might follow according to the whim of the Lord who hosted it. Uh, so this means that a tournament's rules are set by the Lord in question. 
And it is very possible, says Kian, that at this tournament, uh, the first one or two days of jousting were reserved to the lesser lords and lesser knights, because this is also the day where the three relatively unknown knights uh, whose squires um, bullied Howland Reed participated. And so his theory is that it is actually uh, necessary for the better people, uh, so the higher nobility and the higher uh, knights, to keep back uh, until the later days to allow the lesser ones their moment in the sun. And Eddard, being honorable, chooses the only honorable way out, which is to enter the tournament as a mystery knight. And I'd say this much is an interesting theory, but um, the thing is, it is extremely thin. It's a lot of conjecture and speculation because we simply do not know. Yes, it's possible that such rules exist, uh, but they they don't really they they are not. There is as much argument for it than against it, and in both cases, that's close to zero. So, so for me, the question remains, why does Ned enter the tournament as a mystery knight? It's a very good question. Why should he enter the tournament in the first place? I will come back to that, as I promised, uh, and this does not convince me at all. And then we have the last argument, which is the aftermath, in which uh, Kien is arguing that uh, Robert might have been in on it. Uh, and that he is referencing uh, all of this uh, in the very end. And uh, how is the textual uh, evidence for this? We know from uh, Jojen's account that Robert Baratheon also uh, claims that he will unmask the Knight of the Laughing Tree. And Kien sees this as an inside joke, uh, as proof that, or at least as uh, circumstantial evidence, that Robert was in on the joke. For this to work, the idea is that Ned borrowed Robert's horse, hence why it's so big and bigger than usual, and um, that he uh, that Robert didn't know because he was his best friend, and that with tongues waggling, uh, the tail eventually got to Ares, who then uh, headed out for uh, Ned Stark because he knew that Ned was the Knight of the Laughing Tree and that this is why uh, he wants him dead uh, later that year. And that it concludes uh, Kien's argument, uh, basically. And uh, to this last thing about the um, the references to Robert and Ares calling for uh, Ned's head, I have this to say: When did Robert ever keep a secret? Like this would have been out in the open. This would have been the story of Robert's rebellion because it would have been the initial counterpoint. If Robert had known this, if so many people had known it, it would have been known far and wide. So this is really, um, this is really not, not very, very logical in my eyes. And the second thing is Ares does not need another reason to call for Ned's head. And he does not do so until he killed Brandon and Rickard Costark. At this point, he wants to destroy the whole house of Stark. And he doesn't need to remember, oh, and there was this nothing like business. There is simply no need for it. Ares is a paranoid, a paranoid fucker. And he does not need additional, um, additional motivation. Indeed, additional motivation does cheapen the whole story in my book. So I would argue strongly uh, against this here. And this is my conclusion. 
Rhaegar meets Lyanna regardless of who the Night of the Laughing Tree was. This is correct, Kian, but I think it's irrelevant. Then uh, the second uh, uh, thing we have is Ned is uniquely textually connected to the Night of the Laughing Tree by the booming voice and no friend of mine. And this I find extremely flimsy. Then he says Ned checks all the boxes for the Night of the Laughing Tree thanks to Robert and I disagree. No, he does not. And uh, last point, this is why Ares calls for Ned and Robert's heads and no again, he has normal reasons um, that have nothing to do with that, um, that also work. So now let's get into my own uh, conclusion, basically. The whole thing is based on an extreme reading of text snippets and ripping them out of context, uh, unfortunately. That's at least how I feel. So I would disagree here uh, on these counts. And it needs to find, the whole theory needs to find five or six rationales why Ned makes no sense, which should raise a ton of red flags. None of these reasons are addressed in the text, and all of them are wholly speculative. So you need to remove so many obstacles for Ned to be the Knight of the Laughing Tree without finding anything in the text to support uh, that these obstacles are actually removed, that this becomes rather bad storytelling. And But, but I'll get to that problem later. And you are also ignoring uh, some of the biggest problems of all, which is Martin himself, who claimed Ned is not a good tourney knight. There is no textual evidence that he even participated at all, and he didn't just come to cheer on Brandon. That doesn't matter in the bigger picture, but it is. But there is simply no good argument against this Occam's razor. Uh, so I'm bringing this up because of the uh, of the uh, of the armor. I do not think Ned even had armor with him. I do not think he was in this tournament to compete. He's like uh, 17 or at maximum 18 at this point. He has uh, he's not a knight. Uh, he's not a big jouster. Uh, that is just not his thing. It is Brandon's thing. Uh, and he is just a loving brother who comes cheering him on. He is for the par he's here for the party, as strange as that sounds. Uh, and of course for the politics of it. He's still Ned Stark, so he's um, he's very solemn and dour. Um, and he's described like, like that uh, in the story. So uh, all of that, uh, these are all the um, the doylist things that turn me off this theory. But for me, the most important point, as always in judging these things, is narr narrative. And we have great problems with the narrative structure. So I pose the kind of heretical question, is Ned, could Ned be the Knight of the Laughing Tree? Sure. But so could Jamie Lannister. And I'm using this extreme example to show that I could make the same case for Jamie Lannister and find about as much textual evidence, which is kind of a problem with this uh, theory. Then I have to pose the question, not could Ned be the Knight of the Laughing Tree, but does it make sense for him to be? And here I have to say, not really. It does not fit his character at all. He's neither impulsive, nor is he a good tawny knight, nor is he great at subterfuge, nor is he a big fan of stories. None of these boxes are checked here. Ned also already has a place in the story of the Knight of the Laughing Tree, because he is the one who dances with the Shara Dane. That is his story. He doesn't need another one to ta uh, that's tacked on onto it. The biggest reason of all, however, is the character of Liana. For one, being the knight ticks 
all the boxes. She's a great rider, she's willful, she's trained with a sword. It's reasonable to assume she also tried to ride with lances at some point, which is more than we can say about Eddard. Two, from the backstory of Sir Jorah, we know how powerful the right motivation can be in winning such a thing. It was Lyanna who was pissed off by these guys, not Ned. Ned has no intrinsic motivation uh, to chastise these guys, other than, yeah, that random dude I never met before, but who is kind of um, a vassal of mine, uh, or not even of mine, of Brandon's and Rickard's. And now, why should Ned do this? If anyone, Liana would go to Brandon, but this is Liana we're talking about. She's willful. Of course she's doing this herself. Then three, it's a little bit problematic to assume that Liana can't do it, whereas Ned can, because he has no bigger claim to jousting skills and no personal connection. And so why do we even need to get, to get off Liana? I do not see a reason uh, for this. And five, it cheapens the relationship to Rhaegar. The prince has a sickly, weak wife. Of course, he'd be attracted by a powerful, willful Lyanna who he unmasks on his hunt. It shows Rhaegar's intelligence and his respect for more independent women, which he then, of course, imprisons, so yay. <laughs> uh, but uh, this is a problem in the context of Rhaegar's story, because yeah, sure, um, he is still uh, um, getting to know Lyanna in that scenario. But there is no intimate connection between the two. Why would he fall for her and not just any other random northern woman? It is the shared experience of the unmasking of the Knight of the Laughing Tree uh, that makes this into a tragic romance instead of just a random act of crowning the Queen of Love and Beauty by Rhaegar. So no, um, it cheapens several narrative arcs. And it takes the tragedy out of the whole story. That's my sixth point. Liana is doing this out of youthful naivete and a sense of adventure. It's what gets her into this mess in the first place, and it starts the whole avalanche of events. If she is not responsible, the story loses a lot of tragedy and romance. And Martin is nothing if not a romantic. So in the end, Liana being the knight is simply the most interesting version of the story and the most logical. To make the case for Ned, you need to discount all that and to make, on purpose, the story verse. And therefore, I disagree with the theory. That has been my take. Uh, I do hope that this was satisfying to you, Kian. I'm really sorry that I have no better news, but I do not find it uh, convincing. Uh, I don't know if I if you find me convincing, uh, but at least I took the challenge. I refuted you point by point. Um, and of course, you are invited, as is everyone else, uh, to comment on my repudiation and uh, to to try to find arguments that disprove the ones I made, or uh, disprove is such a strong word, uh, that serve as counterpoints uh, to, what, what, uh, to what was I just saying. So... Once again, I hope uh, this is to your satisfaction. I hope everyone got a blast out of this. Uh, I love taking um, taking it out on fan theories, and I hope I didn't gobble the pronunciation of love uh, too much and laugh, uh, because we Germans, we are known to mix it up with loving someone and laughing at someone, and I guess I did it wrong even now. So um, maybe that provided you with some mild amusement. <laughs> 
<laughs> so thank you everyone and of course thank you so much Kien for listening to us all these years to reading the Supreme Court of Westeros when it was still active and uh, for all other people it is still out there you can find a collection of all the rulings on Amazon as an ebook for a really fair price uh, I will also link it in the description so if you want to check out uh, the Supreme Court of Westeros please by all means go ahead uh, and read up on the rulings they will be a little bit out of date uh, but the ebook is just like three dollars or something uh, so it is very cheap thank you all for supporting us again most of all of course Kien who became a podager and forced me challenged me and gave me this great intellectual challenge that I really relished this was a blast thank you bye bye If you like this podcast, you can support us via PayPal at paypal.me slash boiledleather, or you go over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash boiledleatheraudiohour. Patreon offers many subscription tiers, which give you early access to episodes, the possibility to weigh in on topic choices, bonus podcasts like the Boiled Leather Audio Moment or the Boiled Leather Audio Conversation, and of course, the possibility to be mentioned right in the beginning of every podcast. Hop over to patreon.com slash boiledleatheraudiohour or contribute over PayPal at paypal.me slash boiledleather.